right. Looks like we've got a great group uh, participating today. And uh, for those of you that have just joined the last, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We're going to get things kicked off here. I know Eric's got some uh, uh, good presentation. Going to go through a lot of information for us. And uh, as I, as we see, we've got this recorded. His announcement scrolling at the beginning there. I'm sure he'll have more to say. But uh, Eric, welcome. What do we need to know? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, yeah, welcome everybody to the call. Uh, great turnout. Happy to see uh, uh, about 56 people on the call today. That's great. Um, lots of information today. Um, uh, I guess uh, we'll start with uh, just kind of some news here, right? Uh, uh, social media and recording, right? Just do know that the call is being recorded. Um, please don't take notes and rebroadcast and that. Uh, certainly, uh, we want to make sure that the uh, the message gets across clearly and not taken out of context, uh, you know, by uh, using cliff notes on Facebook and the like. Um, this will be reposted on uh, on the MEC website, as well as iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, right? Uh, pretty good distribution network for this stuff. Um, when you get to the end, do the Q&A, use the raise hand function, don't talk over people, right? And uh, remain on mute during the call unless you're called on. So uh, with that, uh, just a kind of a high level outline, I, we apologize for the dings that are gonna happen. Uh, Microsoft, uh, is having a little troubles with the uh, the in and outs of uh, the call. So uh, you're going to get that little bell, right? Um, but uh, I'll try and work through it. So uh, here's some of the stuff we're going to cover today. Got some news we got to get out here. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, data, right? Um, making sure that you fill out the forms. Um, this is a very much so a, uh, a data-driven airline. And we uh, we need the forms, whether the grievance forms or the safety forms. Uh, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about what the committees are doing, um, and not as kind of like a, a small aside because it's a, it's a big deal. And we've worked really hard over the last uh, eighteen months to build out some really robust committees. It is truly uh, how we succeed as a union is having the, that really really strong structure at the committee level. Um, and then having an MEC that that is managing that committee level, right? I want to talk about some of the stuff that the uh, the MEC is trying to push through over the next 18 months. Uh, talk about uh, a contract if you can keep it. We'll made up some nice bracelets for that. Um, this is about you guys uh, helping out the grievance committee um, and uh, volunteering in the structure to make sure that we can uh, get the work done that we need to get done with the challenges that we face, right? So, uh, and then the second half of the call, I wanna talk a little bit about um, the uh, quarter one brief that we had with the C team, uh, as well as kind of what the workload is. And that's the arbitration schedules, midterm bargaining, section six openers already, right? Thinking about that, it's not so far out on the horizon. Um, and then just uh, another push for uh, recruitment. And I think it'll make a lot of sense once you see all of the different parts that are uh, that are happening right now, uh, you'll understand the very real need to uh, to grow, 
right? And that that growth is going to come from you guys getting involved in what it is that we do here, and ultimately whatever the the succession plan is, right? Um, gotta get out at some point, and um, then we'll open up some Q and A. So uh, with that, uh, we'll dig right into the news. As I think probably most people have seen, right, the uh, flight attendant uh, terms of agreement vote came back um, with a, a resounding no to their uh, contract. Uh, that labor instability, right, uh, does um, have a way of kind of stretching out a little bit wider, right? So uh, we want to express to the flight attendants that we support them uh, as they move forward and try to figure out how to uh, move forward from where they're at. Uh, labor stability is absolutely key to growth um, and even more so at this company uh, there has been you know for the last 18 months or so and i think a lot of this has to do with apollo and you'll see it more as we get into the slide deck uh, a particularly aggressive labor policy in place that's a little out of step with where the rest of the industry is at i think management might be turning a corner there uh, and able to turn that corner somewhat because of Apollo's exit. A lot of that remains to be seen, right? But, um, you know, a lot of pilots have come to me over the last 48 hours asking, hey, what is what does this vote mean to me and to growth at this airline? And I think the airline still intends to grow. Uh, there's, you know, uh, the ability to fill classes with flight attendants is different than it is for pilots. And uh, ultimately, I think we'll still be flying our, our summer schedule, right? Uh, that said, um, labor instability does not enable growth, and we need to uh, uh, quickly get this company into uh, a stable place, right? Um, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about Section 18. Uh, we'll start to put together a call probably in the next week or so to really uh, address Section 18 separately. If I really dug into Section 18, it'd be a solid hour. Um, uh, what I do want to give you guys is just a, a high level, um, quick outline of a few of those things, right? So we reached a grievance settlement this week. We haven't signed anything yet. Language is fully done and finished. It resolves 12 uh, fairly large MEC group grievances. Um, and uh, really, the, the key points is that it clarifies uh, a lot of the language issues that were in contention, right? Um, and when I say this, understand that it's a grievance settlement. And so what it does is it looks at how the pilots were harmed in terms of, uh, you know, financially or time off. What, what can we do to restore some of that harm? Uh, and it also has to clarify the language that caused some of the harm in the first place, right? Um, just a few of the things that are getting resolved here, uh, like a dwell time and uncovered training events for um, uh, things that come open for training pilots to pick up so that uh, the guys who are in the training department, so not on a fly month, but uh, teaching in the simulator, uh, have, uh, let's say, 12 hours to pick up something that goes through uncovered training events. Uh, prior to someone who's on a fly month being able to pick that up, right? Um, just due to the the limitations of uh, being in the training department and having a more limited uh, work pool, 
um, there needs to be some uh, guarantee that those guys are going to have kind of the first bite at the apple. Uh, it also clarifies that uh, fly month daily open time ads will be permitted. So uh, if you're in the training department, you're on a fly month, you're not teaching at all, uh, that you're treated like a regular pilot and can pick up open time out of daily open time. Um, so regular normal bidding pilot, right? Uh, also uh, clarifies kind of a, a difficult um, uh, structure, right? With open time ads for OE guys, right? So um, if you're on an OE line, and um, let's say that uh, you pick up a trip out of daily open time, there's no way to teach uh, OE on that trip that you picked up that's regular pilot work. Um, and we're happy to have the OE guys be able to pick up that work. Um, but if the training department wants to put training on that, that needs to wash through uncovered training events. So you set up a scenario where say um, uh, Zillin, right, who uh, does OE um, and has picked up a regular pilot trip, you may see his trip posted in uncovered training events as an ad for um, uh, a training pilot, right, to do OE on. Uh, if that trip is removed from Zillin, he's going to get pay protected from that trip, just like any other regular pilot would, because he picked it up as a regular pilot. It washes through uncovered training events at 150%. He may even pick that trip back up himself and then end up getting paid, you know, 250% for performing OE on that trip. But uh, essentially what it amounts to is that the training department needs to buy that trip like they would any other trip, right? Um, so clarify that language. Um, and then uh, sim fills will be posted in uncovered training events. If they remain uncovered, they can get moved into daily open time uh, for regular pilot ads. Uh, so just clarifies where those go, clarifies what the pay is for um, uh any kind of sim fills in the training department that they're still seen as training events that deadhead is a training event and as a result both of those things play, pay at 5.3 hours um or at 150 percent at 5.3 hours if uh, if it's added through uncovered so uh we did add some rescheduling and reassignment language for oe pilots uh that needed to happen as well as an offset for uh, any rescheduling um, so that the regular pilot work percentage uh, remains the same. So there's an offset for that. And then um, we did add some language for commuter hotels and positive space travel, which brings the uh, training pilots into parity with the um, non-seniority list instructors. These are things that the non-seniority list instructors are being offered in order to work for the company. And we should have the same exact uh, playing field for seniority list training pilots. And ultimately we need to be able to attract uh, and retain in the training department uh, training pilots who are commuters and the way you do that is through positive space travel and, and you know hotels. Um, there are some financial remedies that go along with this. Uh, one of those is in the way of uh, an override increase on an ongoing basis for all instructors. Um, part of that is the make whole for uh, the interpretation that surrounded um, uh, not being paid an override on deadheads or uh, not when you were, say, uh, directly in the seat doing training, right? Um, it resolves a problem there. Uh, there's a 
financial make whole uh, component for SIM and OE, uh, which basically comes down to about $10,000 for a, a five day rolling window for the SIM instructors who were scheduled that way. Um, the OE instructors weren't scheduled the same way. There is still a, a make whole there as well. Like I said, we'll dig into the specifics of this and the language of uh, that settlement. Um, probably in the next week here as uh, things get signed. Um, I want to make sure that the documents actually get signed and agreed to, and then we can walk through the whole document and, and read through it and talk about it. Um, but we're not quite there yet uh, in terms of the signatures. Uh, do have a good commitment out of the company that uh, they are done and that they agree. But um, until the ink is on the page, uh, I think it's best that we uh, wait on some of the details, right? Um, also, uh, St. Paul Saints game, uh, we are sold out. Uh, we do have a, a waiting list running um, in case uh, some people want to turn their tickets back in uh, because they're not going to make it or something like that. If you're not going to make it, please do that so the people on the waiting list can come out. Um, fantastic response to this. Um, uh, 230 tickets, right? Uh, just fantastic and, and couldn't be happier to see that. Um, this is uh, our way of saying thank you to the whole pilot group. Um, this MEC is really proud to represent you guys. Uh, we think it's a, a, an outstanding pilot group. And uh, ultimately, everything that we do is about putting uh, money and opportunity into our pilots' pockets and into the pockets, ultimately, of our families, right? Um, sending kids to college, um, paying for swimming lessons and all the rest of it, right? Um, you know, there's... Uh, in the gains that we saw in the last contract cycle, you know, it's allowed people to do some things uh, with their families that maybe they couldn't do, wives could stop working, that kind of thing, right? Fantastic. Um, but we had a great time at the event last year. Uh, Mike Heath made sure that the weather was going to be better this year because last year we had both a rainstorm and a snowstorm, you know, stunningly bad weather, but it was a great time. Uh, those of you who are signed up are going to have an exceptionally good time. These Saints games are really a lot of fun. Um, reminder that we have a podcast series on contract education. Uh, you can find this stuff on our uh, MEC website as well as in uh, you know, iTunes, Spotify. Um, really basic, great for new hires. Just want to make sure everybody knows that stuff is there. Um, there's quite a, a, a library and growing. So um, if you're a new hire listening on the call today, stop by there, listen to some of those contract education podcasts. Uh, it really does help with some of this basic scheduling stuff. Um, we are rebooting uh, Tuesdays at two with some basic uh, PBS 101 kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to give Tim and Katie some time to talk to the pilot group so that everyone can learn the basics of PBS, right? Um, the stuff that you need to know about PBS in order to ratify a PBS LOA. Uh, we're still a little ways off on, you know, full language and ratification of that. Um, just a little idea of what's going on there, right? Uh, the PBS working group is broken into kind of a small group now away from the larger table uh, just to get some of the um, 
some of this stuff moving, right? Uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, got it down to, you know, four people, which is Tim and Katie, and then uh, Andy Papaleo and Jeff Bosch on the company side. These are the people who are going to actually use and run PBS, and uh, they need to have a, you know, a small table for them um, without the politics and without the lawyers, just to work through the pragmatic side of the system, right? And, and get this thing functioning. And they're gonna come out with a recommendation on uh, what they think should uh, operate uh, going forward. Um, so that, I, I'm really happy to see we have some progress there as a result. There is still a need to write full language contract changes to each of the sections that PBS touches. That stuff has to get done, and the language uh, that Tim and Katie are currently working on all merged into an LA, LOA that's ratified by the pilot group. Um, so tune in uh, May 30th, so right just following the holiday weekend here. Uh, Tuesdays at 2, reboot that, tune in, listen to Tim and Katie, um, and you know, good Q&A with that too. Uh, they really have dug in and have some uh, subject matter expert knowledge level uh, stuff to share. So uh, please do tune in. Um, some of this stuff is fairly technical, goes far beyond, you know, really surface level. Uh, you know, PBS is going to make your schedule great, which isn't necessarily the case, right? So you want to tune in, find out how it's going to help you, how it's going to hurt you, so that uh, that our PBS system is going to have everything that you need to have in it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the areas uh, where you know we talk to the company on a regular basis and trying to make some change happen some of this stuff is in the grievance context some of this stuff is more operational um but there's still a lot of issues with the crew right a um, lot of conversations about that the company is working uh, i i would say pretty hard at uh reprogramming and trying to make that system work uh as well as it possibly can um so that everyone's aware we are now on uh, just recently, maybe even just as of a couple of days ago, on a fully updatable current version of eCrew, right? Uh, we were not on even an updatable version of uh, of Ames and eCrew. So now um, the updates and the changes that are necessary for contract implementation and compliance uh, can actually move forward, right? We're well aware that the email that the bidding system is very cumbersome that is dumping uh, your entire bid up very often right at the end of bidding. Uh, it's not a good way of working. That system does not work. It is not user-friendly for bidding. Um, a lot of conversation about just emailing your bids until such time as that thing actually works. And truly, um, it's the one way that you can build your entire bid up, which can be very complicated, uh, and actually get that bid uh, over to crew planning with some uh, confidence that it's not going to get dumped out at the end and you're going to lose all your work. So um, it, it's easy. Email your bids in, right? Uh, automatic denial of swaps and drops. There's kind of a uh, arbitrary threshold that the company is using uh, to evaluate whether uh, swaps and drops can happen. Each one needs to be dealt with separately. If there's a swap, truly it's a mutual trip trade with open time or, uh, with another pilot, right? Um, that doesn't even go through open time. It needs to be processed. They need to be approved. Um, the drops are a little bit different, but they do need to be assessed by crew planning. Um, right now, there's kind of no human process that's going on. There's just an arbitrary threshold. Um, 
open time crashes, right? Uh, when daily open time opens, the servers are getting hit pretty hard. Um, the company's working to put the open time system behind Okta, which would allow two instances uh, of an open screen. Um, that should start to help and it should mitigate any kind of bot behavior um, and ultimately really lead to some reliability for the system there. Um, if, uh, well, if there are people that are using bots, which we have not been able to find any evidence of whatsoever, um, uh, careful about how and where those are used um, as, you know, anything that would be on a company server, uh, I'm sure you're, you could see some uh, disciplinary action up to it, including termination, right? That's what they say. Uh, so, um, don't use bots, not a good idea. Uh, FOLO, right, first out, last out for reserves uh, remains, um, let's say, a, a problem. Uh, it doesn't show the trips that are being uh, assigned, which is what you need to know to understand whether you're supposed to be the next person in line. Um, there's been some updates to eCrew in order to have uh, like a real-time updated uh, FOLO system. Um, yet nothing on the actual trips that are assigned. So uh, you, you can have a list of who's up next, but it doesn't really mean much unless you know who's been assigned. So uh, they need to get a little bit further on this issue. Uh, there is a, a group grievance in place for this. If you're finding that you can't determine whether or not you should have been assigned uh, a trip um, through FOLO, uh, go ahead and fill out a, a pilot issue form for us. Uh, UI times, so out, off, on, and in times, uh, door times, right? Uh, we've been working on this for quite some time. The logic on the airplanes uh, doesn't fit with the industry standard of brake set at the gate and the uh, L1 door opening. Um, the logic is something to do with weight on wheels and the first brake set. So you can end up producing an in time, say, when you uh cross parallel runways and you're holding short of the the crossing runway and you set the brake uh your end time can be generated from that that point and you might not get into the gate for a good you know 15 minutes later uh the net result it could put you into a 117 violation right if you find that you're close to a 117 violation or wondering if you might have had a 117 violation asap's totally appropriate place uh, do fill out safety reports, right? Um, this really does help uh, the chief pilot's office and uh, Dan Carey work on some of these issues and, and get them straightened out. Um, also, we're well aware that you know payroll has been very, very difficult. Um, the ELP is the vendor uh, the company is working with to uh, implement a payroll system that was supposed to be in place in April. Uh, they've had a lot of difficulty getting that system to interface with AIMS, much like the difficulties they have getting uh, PBS to interface with AIMS or NetBlue. Um, they just simply can't get the data in and out of AIMS in a readable format that uh, the rest of the world is conversant with, right? Um, Thankfully, no one's flicked the switch and turned on ELP, um, and they're continuing to do testing prior to implementation. Some of that is due to a guy named Alan Mitzel, who's the new uh, ITVP, I think, and um, yeah, just a, a more prudent um, 
uh, and careful uh, implementation in terms of the IT side of this. Uh, truly, uh, it'll be good to have there, it'll make the payroll system transparent and hopefully much more reliable, um, but probably not perfect. So just be aware of uh, changes with ELP, right? Um, just a little note here on data driving change, right? Um, I'm going to say these four issues here, right? The drops and swaps uh, put in darts, right? The darts go to the committees, pilot issue forms. Those are the grievances. You can find that form on uh, on the MEC website. And important to know the distinction where the darts are kind of, uh, hey, uh, committee guys, what's going on with this issue? Um, can you look at this before giving me a call? Uh, the pilot issue form is the right place when you know you have a, a clear violation. So if your e-through drops and swaps aren't being handled properly with uh, and compliant with the contract, file a pilot issue form. Um, hotel darts, uh, both for long and short stays. The hotel guys uh, don't get any of the submissions that go to the hotel vendor. Um, so if you send these guys darts, right, Trigo and Shapiro, uh, they need in information on their good hotels and their bad hotels, right? Uh, they get plenty of bad hotel information, but if there's a hotel you really like staying at because it's working really well, you like what that hotel has to offer, um, if you can send a dart, right, they can pass that along to the people that are making decisions about uh, who we use for hotels. And they're going to say, oh, look, there's, you know, 30 uh, good notes on this hotel. Let's continue to stay there, right? Um, if you're having negative interactions with the travel desk, um, please report those uh, to the hotel committee via darts. There have been some issues um, and they seem to be ongoing. Fortunately, I think diminished somewhat from what they were about a year ago. But uh, please let us know, right? Darts are the appropriate place there. Uh, likewise, uh, problems with lift, right? You should have a scheduled transportation at the curb, not um, you know a token for lift from crew scheduling to schedule your own transportation. Um, give us a dart. Let us know if this is happening to you. Also, when you know you get a, you get that uh, that lift ride and it shows up with no space in the car, not enough space for the, your body to fit in it. Right, you're in a Kia or a, a Tesla for three hours. Not not going to work. Um, you know, kids on ride-alongs, uh, anything that you see is unsafe. Um, just uh, or or even lift rides that are just inappropriate in length. Right, um, two three hours in a lift, not the right kind of transportation for that job. Uh, let us know. Right, give us the darts, give us the data that we need to make change. Um, and then safety reports on the UI times, right? Help the chief pilot's office and Dan Carey make some change here. Um, uh, truly, it is it's necessary to avoid the 117 violations. They need to know when they're uh, running into that stuff. So uh, give them a hand. So uh, kind of moving out of news, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the committees, right? Um, we have grown very robust uh, coordinated and effective committees. I'm pretty impressed with uh, where our committees are at. Really good people. Um, what's necessary uh, to be an effective MEC, right, is that the MEC is not a one-man war. Uh, it's not, you know, the three guys on the master executive committee uh, doing the work um, that uh, should be at the committee level. 
And by building a really robust committee structure, we get more done. And then when you move into section six, those committees are strong, they're trained and capable of doing all of the daily work that needs to get done so that the focus of the negotiating committee and uh, the MEC can be on that, that negotiating objective. We are, as I'm gonna talk about later in this presentation, very, very uh, soon to move into that, right? And there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on um, that we couldn't be doing unless we had these really well-coordinated uh, committees, right? So um, with that, we've worked really hard to get our committees trained. Uh, this week, you know, grievance committees out in Valo getting trained. Um, we need subject matter experts who know their subject on their committee. Um, and they need to be well-resourced, right? We need the money and the time, uh, the leave, to make sure that these committees can be effective, right? Um, certainly, as this company is growing, uh, the workload has become significantly higher. And uh, I think, as you'll see by the end of uh, the presentation, um, we're going to get large, right? Which is a great story. Super happy to be looking at growth. Um but in order to meet the needs of this pilot group, um, while at the same time uh, completing arbitrations and then on top of it, uh, you know, midterm cycle of negotiating and then moving right into section six, uh, we really need uh, some depth on these committees, right? And they need to be able to come to the table uh, as a subject matter expert and move their issues forward, right? Uh, so. We have committees that are now really well integrated with the MEC objectives, regular coordinating calls with these committees to make sure that they're moving the ball forward. Policy manuals in place, so they have defined roles, they know what their roles are, and they know who their defined uh, company points of contact are, right? So um, it's basically not just a, a rogue committee doing what they want out in the weeds, but uh, everyone knows what their part is and what part they're supposed to be lifting. And as a result, the MEC doesn't have to lift that work. Works great, right? This is the way to run a, a, an effective operation. Um, and, you know, we're able to get the work done. So uh, part of what the committees do is identify the bargaining objectives, right? And then, uh, so yeah, they're coming, uh, all these committees are coming to, up towards the MEC going, we need this, we need one of these, this needs to work better over here, right? And then we survey the pilot group on those to find out which ones are most important and that we're gonna push in a, in a section six, right? Um, so uh, very, really, really important that we have committee structures. Um, and the last, Two cycles of MECs have done a really good job of, you know, continual trajectory towards more robust committees. They're the best I've seen at this property right now. Really, really hitting it out of the ballpark and people are doing a great job. Um, I want to give you just a little bit of a, a highlight on what these committees are up to, right? Um, on the grievance committee, um, they are truly at a record pace. Uh, the contract, if you can keep it, uh, kind of notion, right? Um, something about you guys helping the grievance committee to succeed, right? So if you have issues, um, make sure that you're giving them screenshots, that you're trying to write the narrative for them, give them as much uh, clear smoking gun evidence of the violation as you can. Um, we are running uh, currently one and a half to two issue forms per pilot, okay? 
just to put that in context, um, when I was the grievance chair at, uh, you know, the merged three properties was before it was Endeavor, uh, and we had like 4,200 pilots, we did about 3,200 grievances, so less than one grievance per pilot. Um, running at two per pilot is um, challenging. Um, maybe some of the worst out there uh, in terms of uh, compliance, right? It's, it's widespread non-compliance and um, it it's a challenge, right? Chris has done a lot of work. Uh, we've lost two key members um, to one to United, one to Delta. Uh, that we're, you know, really, really doing a great job and did a lot of work. And we need to fill those spots, right? Uh, O'Gara has stepped up and has uh, been pretty active on the committee. Um, happy to see that you know, those guys are out of training. But um, we do need help on the grievance committee. Safety, um, uh, you know, Tony did a bang-up job putting this committee together, really from, you know, his experience uh, on the MEC, took that knowledge and built out, you know, a really solid central air safety committee. Um, along with that, you know, uh, go, if you rewind four years ago, we did a lot of work, whether it's our fatigue LOAs or bolstering um, resources, leave dollars for, uh, that are paid for by the company, right? For FOCA, ASAP, um, and, uh, you know, SERP and ATC have come along too. Um, SERP uh, is getting cut out by the company. They're not getting uh, notified of incidences and accidents. Um, SERP is, um, you know, it's like the little brother of HIMSS. It just does great things and good good things for good people, right? Chief Pilot's Office is awesome. They call up and talk to pilots and, the, you know, uh, are, you know, a resource and a, a very, very supportive. SERP is just a little different, right? This is, um, you, you don't feel comfortable talking to a psychologist. You don't feel comfortable talking uh, outside of, let's say, the, you know, the very tight circle that is being a pilot, right? You have another pilot to talk to. Um, and they're trained uh, for this. And there's a giant national network, right? So if there's a, an airplane accident in, you know, uh, Paducah, right? SERP from all these different companies, they're all going to show up and help the families through that, right? Um, uh, due to some of the toxicity in the labor relationship, uh, SERP is being cut out. There's, um, It's just an unfortunate thing. But Severson and his guys are doing a great job. Along with that, uh, Austin is uh, setting up with ATC and getting a you know a real conversation uh, to happen with some of the towers uh, that we operate in and out of. Um, so just uh, amazing amount of safety work that's happening in the background. Folk has been pushing through uh, CIFA animations. We want to get some of the FOCA data out of the focus system into these CIFA animations so that you can learn uh, in recurrent ground school and we can start to train out some of the um, statistically uh, most unsafe things that happen in our operation, right? So if we can show animations of that in ground school um, and then uh, people can successfully take that back out to the line, uh, because they have a good understanding of it from the animation, uh, it just makes us a safer airline, right? We've also seen uh, Tom Madison uh, and the ASAP group come out with uh, the ASAP Chronicles. Fa absolutely fantastic to be getting that news out. Um, something we started about three years ago are these safety summits. 
this will be the the first one for for Andrew as the uh, Central Air Safety Chair uh, coming up next month, and it gets all the safety guys and the MEC together in one place so we can talk about the safety issues. We'll bring in company people. Uh, I think last time we had um, the uh, uh, safety manager from the company um, uh, and Greg come in and talk. And I think this time we're going to have some conversations with uh, Cargo and some people from uh, the charter group, right? Um, just to help coordinate how some of those operations run. The last thing I want to talk about in safety is the orange card. Um, ELPA stopped publishing the paper orange cards that a lot of us got when we were uh, new hires, right? What it was was, you know, put this orange card in your wallet, and this is your first call, one-stop shop. When you get in an accident or incident, uh, there's a telephone number that's monitored, and when you call that number, what you're going to get is a coordinated response from someone who's trained to make sure that you get in touch with uh, your um, representative, right, your captain rep or FO rep, the job that we do is an MEC here, or um, and as well as legal, right? Uh, so that when you're disclosing how uh, this accident or incident happened, that you have had some advice from a lawyer and that you're coordinated with uh, your lawyer to make sure that your uh, your explanation doesn't hurt you, the company, um, or your career, right? Uh, and so we're gonna have a little push on the orange card just to make sure that everybody understands on this property where, what the first stop is when uh, when you have an issue, right? Uh, training has been, um, well, let's say uh, highlighted in the last couple of weeks, right? We had a, a short com come out uh, regarding some of the, the issues that we've seen in the non-seniority list uh, instructor cadre. Um, the company has taken some swift action over the last couple of weeks to uh, clean up uh, some of what was going on there. Um, they're well aware that they need to um, reach a higher level of standardization, but also uh, professionalism and behavior out of that cadre, right? Um, the training committee itself has been working uh, really well with uh, Matt Defoe, the new uh, uh, director of uh, training, uh, as well as the rest of the training staff to make sure that, uh, you know, TRBs are happening. So we're getting pilots through training, uh, the, that the train pilots in training have a resource to go to to ask questions about their progress and um, that uh, we're moving the ball forward on, uh, on the AQP curriculum development, right? What we really want to see is the coordination of FOCA and ASAP and the data that they create create AQP scenarios that are ultimately training out the most unsafe, statistically unsafe, not just what people feel are, is unsafe, but what is actually unsafe because the data says it's unsafe, right? Um, if we can find those places in our operation and train those out instead of um, rebooting, you know, um, scenarios from mountain operations from 10 years ago um, in the CNO program, uh, that's where we need to be. We need some new scenarios that that actually do what AQP is designed to do, and forward, uh, you know, what SMS is supposed to do as a, a total solution for safety, right? Um, so very busy committee training. Uh, Central Air Safety is always a, a very very big operation with multiple subcommittees underneath it, right? And uh, there's a lot happening there. Um, on the scheduling side, uh, SOC duty pilots, right? They've been uh, in the SOC now for about 18 months. 
have done a really good job with implementation and being a good resource for uh, the crew schedulers. They've created good relationships with the crew schedulers. So, you know, crew schedulers will even call the, the SOC duty pilots at home. Hey, how does this work? What is the right way to schedule this person, right? And as a result, our Section 25 scheduling grievances have actually decreased a lot. Um, working up to, you know, uh, December of 21 and um, all of the rescheduling issues that we were having, we did an enormous amount of scheduling change in that contract cycle. And uh, we have actually seen a decrease in the amount of uh, grievances and issue forms related to scheduling as a result of their presence in SOC, right? A really good program, really robust program. Those guys are doing a bang up job. I know that they've had some fingers pointed at them about some open time ads and because they're in crew scheduling, they're advantaging themselves. That is not the case. Um, they have exactly the same opportunity that everyone else does to open time. Um, and truly, uh, if anybody wants to go hang with them, watch them, see what they do, understand it, more than welcome. Uh, we'll we'll absolutely facilitate that and make that happen, and uh, hopefully recruit you in to uh, start doing some of that work. Right. Um, so uh, pairing and line construction, um, Ingles and Kitch uh, have been very very successful in um, becoming kind of the backbone of the pairing and line construction process. They do all of the long trip builds, uh, a lot of the pairing builds. Certainly there's a lot of company limitations placed on what they can do and the company is signing off on all of those. But uh, we have a really high level of participation there, which actually does result in a better, uh, higher quality schedule um, that's made with a pilot's eye instead of just kind of randomly made, right? Um, and what we need is some more pilots on property so that uh, we can get some of the scheduling improvements that need to start to happen. But um, certainly uh, having kitchen angles in place, having the knowledge to run uh, both the pairing solutions and they'll be the guys who are running, testing um, and building lines and PBS. Uh, so it's great to see that they've had the success that they've had uh, in, you know, kind of becoming crew planning, right? Um, that's pretty typical of most Alpa properties, and uh, they really are value added to the company because they're they're able to mitigate some, you know, fatigue calls, uh, operations that are just obviously not going to work from a pilot's perspective, right? Uh, so they get to talk through with um, with management how to avoid some of those problems. And a lot of that's been taken out of the lines. Um, we're well aware that the lines need improvement. Um, that just comes with more people. We just need a relief valve and that relief valve is more bodies um, and more passenger flying, which is uh, exactly what we need is efficiency there. So uh, along with that, Tim and Katie uh, reside under the scheduling committee with the JPWG. And like I said, uh, that, that's moving forward. So um, HIMS. Uh, this this committee has done just a an amazing job. Um, obviously, it's confidential and private, so I'm not going to get into the stuff that they've they've succeeded with. But the stories are great. They're saving lives. They're keeping pilots in their careers. Right. Um, uh, they work as trained peer monitors with pilots who are in the program. Um, they're probably getting to the point where they probably could use more people. Um, you uh, you don't necessarily need to have been through the program. I myself am a trained peer monitor. 
Um, and, uh, you know, um, uh, Doug Bartlett, too, works as a, as a peer monitor. So if you feel inspired to do some of that work, uh, you might be able to give back to your uh, your community a little bit by participating in that capacity. Uh, certainly, as we grow and we become a larger airline, that committee, like all the others, is going to need more people to step up and do some of that work because we're going to need to service a pilot group that's twice the size that it is now, right? Um, uh, SPSC, uh, so this is like strike preparedness and strategic planning, right? Um, so Mike Heath and, and those guys, they do the family awareness stuff. So the Saints game um, and will ultimately help us. Uh, we do regular cycles of uh, strategic planning, right? Get a bunch of people in a room, uh, a bunch of line pilots, a bunch of committee members, MEC, talk through uh, where we're going for the next you know, 12 months, two years. And uh, that process is about to start for the section six processes you'll find in some of the slides that are coming up. Um, so on the hotel committee, uh, this has become kind of a line item, a target, if you will, for um, for the company uh, because it costs more, right? Uh, airline fees are way up as, as are our profits as a result, right? Robust fares. That means that our travel costs have increased because we, you know, about 30% of our flying is deadheading. So positioning on offline uh, American Delta United, right? To uh, uh, get yourself in position to work. And those travel costs have gone up significantly, right? Along with hotel costs, which are through the roof. Um, so that line item for management has, has gotten some attention, right? And uh, they're going to come looking for uh, changes in hotels and cheaper transportation, right? Um, so the site selection process needs to remain robust. We've had the company circumnavigate that, start using hotels like in Cabo uh, prior to uh, doing the three uh, site selections that they should be going through. Um, uh, we also have some questions about lift and commercial transportation, right? Uh, like I said, we need your forms, uh, darts on, on lift. That's what's going on in the hotel committee. They've been pretty busy with that. Retirement and insurance. Uh, there's a military 401k true up process that's going on. Um, essentially, this affects any pilot who's been on military leave, any truly any employee at the company who's been on military leave um, uh, who gets a contribution, right? So when the 2% direct contribution went into place, uh, our pilots who were on military leave started being affected by this. Um, it certainly wasn't well advertised uh, to the employers that they would need to um, true these people up, right? So some of that's starting to come uh, to fruition. Uh, we've been working with uh, Nick Smith, um, who's on the uh, military committee, uh, subcommittee of the membership committee to um, help the military guys uh, work through these issues, giving them some resources from the R&I lawyers at National. Uh, and uh, we do need subject matter experts in retirement and insurance. Um, Andrew Britton does a great job on the uh, retirement side. We do need some insurance people to kind of step up and help. Um, certainly someone who's been injured and gone through the insurance process and understands all of the paperwork and the timeliness of that paperwork to just act as a resource uh, to our pilots who end up going through these things, right? The, the last place you want to be is uh, injured, right? Um, and going through that process of recovery and then uh, drowning in the paperwork of dealing with insurance, 
who sometimes it seems their real job is to mitigate paying you their money. Um, so uh, we have good solid benefits in place. These benefits are going to see some change in the next um, uh, section six cycle. Uh, they didn't get touched in our last negotiating cycle. So pretty obvious place to go in the next uh, negotiating cycle. And uh, so we really do need some uh, insurance subject matter experts to kind of step up there. Um, on the communication side, right, this continues to be staffed by, by Will. Um, who in his role as vice chair is wearing too many hats. He's really, really busy. Uh, we do have some interested people, but we could really use about three. Um, communications is a big deal, being able to you know, transparently get the news out to you guys, make sure that that news fits what's happening um, in the relationship between the company and the MEC so you stay well informed. Uh, it's just really, really important that that um, is uh, uh, robust and doing well. Um, and just a reminder, uh, talk to the P2P guys, right? Um, we have a, a really robust P2P um, committee. Um, and uh, thankfully, Kitsch has organized that really well. And we get, you know, 20 guys or so together every two weeks, talk through everything that the MEC is doing. If you want to get involved with those calls, um, certainly do that where the red lanyard be a resource to the pilot group. It is by far uh, the fastest way to get news out to you guys, much easier than vetted legal written communications. Um, and that's why we ask you guys to look to those guys with the red lanyard as you know the the main conduit for our communications. Um, the uh, the written communications uh, certainly are helpful. Uh, it does get the news out, but um, the the detailed, nuanced news that you need to hear, that's coming from the the p two p guys. Um, so do talk to those guys on a regular basis. Uh, don't don't get isolated from what those guys are, uh, have to say. OK, um, really important that uh, you're talking to a red lanyard. So uh, on the negotiating side, uh, we lost two of our negotiating committee uh, committee members in Section six. Right. Matt Braun went to, uh, uh, to Delta and uh, Millard went to uh, uh, American and, and great for them to move forward with their careers and, you know, live their dream. Um, but it does leave us uh, really short on the negotiating committee. Uh, the negotiating committee, uh, just like the MEC, is not someplace you want to like walk on cold day one. Um, it, it is uh, an uphill uh, battle to learn how to do that. And I've seen more than a few people get on there and try to do the work and uh, just kind of self-implode, right? Uh, so get involved with something like a grievance committee and then move up uh, into a negotiating committee. That's the right process. Um, we have plenty of opportunities with our joint working groups, reading groups as we start to spin up uh, for Section 6. Uh, and that planning process is now, uh, as you'll see in the timeline in a little bit. Um, you know, PBS is underway. The joint working group for um, PBS is uh, well underway. That's all kind of part of the negotiating process. But those people, right, Tim and Katie, pretty much kind of have to stay doing that JPWG process while we run a whole negotiating process, plus run our, our grievance process underneath it. So um, the traditional places that you would go to tap are, you know, some of these smaller working groups where you uh, have people with some experience in writing and, and working at the table to take those people and move them up into a negotiating committee. Uh, and frankly, the way that I'm starting to see this timeline working out, uh, they're going to have to stay where they're at just to make sure that that work has a, a the right person in, at that at the helm, right? 
Um, we do not have a merger committee. We do have an immediate need for a standing committee. Um, uh, I know Bill Perry has expressed some interest here. Um, this is um, just so everybody knows and understands what a merger committee is, is and does, right? These are the people that do the list integrations uh, during a merger, right? Um, so you have a negotiating committee that works to make a joint contract. Then you have a merger committee that works on where you're going to sit in the list, right? Um, that committee, um, like we don't have a merger committee. We do need a merger committee. It is funded through pilot assessment. So it's volunteer work because there is no budget. ALPA can't pay for it. And it has no legal resources from ALPA National like the grievance committee does or the MEC does. And that, that's by law. And um, uh, ultimately, uh, the pilots themselves have to get themselves studied up on case law and become subject matter experts on the way that um, lists have been integrated, uh, Allegheny Mohawk, as well as uh, ALPA uh, merger uh, policy, right? So um, I can think of a few people with, with a talent set here for you know spreadsheets and reading dry case law, um, but um uh, it's time uh, we got to get somebody uh to staff that uh, probably two or three people who want to start to get interested in doing that work uh the merger committee um well uh, you heard it in, from jude in the town halls right as we get bigger we're going to become a target uh it, it is the way of things uh and certainly consolidation in this industry uh is oh well and it's happening right so um, best we uh, start to understand how we would merge with another another property and what those lists might start to look like, right? Um, and I don't want to start any rumors about, you know, instant mergers with um, uh, the most recent one is Delta is going to buy us. And then there's, you know, the Hawaiian one. And then there's, uh, you know, High Arrow hanging out out there. And um, it, it just... It isn't a good exercise to go down the conspiracy rabbit hole, right? But we do need to st stand up a merger committee. It's time. Um, uh, along with that, uh, membership, right? Membership's been really busy doing new higher class presentations. Um, we'd like to get a mentorship program up and running. Uh, typically, um, most properties are running a mentorship program. I've been very keen to the idea of making sure that we're setting up systems that we can sustain. And we haven't been in a place where we could set up a mentorship committee um, uh, or a mentorship subcommittee of the membership committee just because we had other real work that we had to do. We are getting to that point where, uh, you know, size-wise as an airline um, and number of new hires coming onto the property, we probably should get something set up. Uh, I'd mentioned the orange cards earlier. That's going to be a push that the membership is making, um, as well as PAC, right? So political action committee. We are the worst performing uh, property in ALPA uh, with the PAC. Um, the PAC is uh, it's a political action committee for pilot centric um, uh, issues, right? These are the people that built uh, the the dollars that supported airlines during uh, COVID, right? Um, the way that unions work, uh, we cannot use pilot dues dollars to fund a political action committee for good reason, um, uh, which means that the political action committee needs to find its money elsewhere. We do have dues checkoff for this. We haven't, you know, 
uh, been in kind of the financial situation to really push it, right? When we were the lowest paid 737 operators in the industry, it wasn't really appropriate. Um, uh, as we're making more money, uh, we should probably start to look to make a little push there, make sure that we're doing our part as a pilot group to fund uh, fund the pack, make sure that uh, pilot issues, and I should say um, nonpartisan, very important, pilot-centric issues get forwarded, right, that protect our career. Um, one of the big pushes is going to be with uh, unmanned flight and um, uh, single pilot operations, right? You're seeing this out of Ambrosi. Uh, and the reason you're seeing that, um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of flight deck talk about, uh, well, that's going to take forever. You know, it's going to be a long, long time. That's going to weigh down the road, right? Not going to affect my career. Uh, FedEx has two caravans operating unmanned, completely unmanned, uh, out to Inuit communities in Alaska, right? Um, in case the airplane crashes out in the middle of nowhere, no one's going to much know about it and won't get a lot of news, right? Um, but they're running cargo ops uh, on a FedEx airplane um, out into the middle of the wilderness. Just know that. So it's not far off. It's happening. Um, uh, moving on to the exit survey. Uh, membership has stood up the exit surveys. Um uh, Riley's been uh, pretty handy there and trying to make sure that we contact everybody that leaves, find out why they're leaving. Um, really important that we start to understand our attrition and why we're attriting, right? Um, some of the initiatives with the MEC right now. Uh, so P4P, that's different from P2P, right, which is our communications channel. P4P, that's a national pilot assistance fund. We do have dues checkoff for this, um, uh, or, or looking to get dues checkoff for this, uh, like we would like to get um, stood up a, a Sun Country pilot assistance fund. Um, we had a really robust fund at, at Endeavor. I think it was about a million and a half dollars when I left. Saw some really great successes with this. Um, and we need to get something set up uh, immediately, right? Um, whether you, you look at Yia's family, right? Um, you look at what Lindsay went through, um, look at uh, the situation that Kyle's in right now. Uh, this kind of fund is set up to do this. Um, and it's just Sun Country pilots helping Sun Country pilots. Uh, I remember at Endeavor, we had a uh, uh, an FO whose house was washed away during Sandy. Um, you know, she was, rather than having to be at home uh, and worry and take care of that, um, she was able to stay at work because the Pilot Assistance Fund paid her mortgage for six months, right? Um, and as a result, she continued to have a career instead of having to leave her job. Um, so it's a big deal, right? I talked a little about a bit about SERP already. Um, if you run into Greg, talk to him about SERP, what it does and what that program offers. Um, it isn't a way to circumnavigate the great job that our, our chief pilot office does. Um, it's an empathetic pilot ear trained in um, emergency response, right, um, in crisis. And um Having someone trained in crisis to talk to as a pilot, right? Because when you don't feel comfortable going to the psychologist necessarily, um, that that needs to be a, a resource that's out there and that uh, is there for you when you get into an accident or incident. Every other property in Alpa has this. It functions perfectly fine everywhere. It's totally non-threatening to the company. And um, the obstruction that is going on here isn't acceptable. 
Um, we talked about the orange card. We talked about the military leave thing. Um, we are setting up a, a CATS working group. So basically a commuter solutions think tank, right? What CATS is, is a commuter accessible trips. Uh, it's kind of uh, version two of the long trips experiment. Um, and uh, we just need to get some guys who are doing real commutes um, by car, by air. Uh, how is commuting affecting you? What do you need changed at this property to make commuting work? How do bases fit into the future of this company? How do long trips fit into the future of this company? Um, we've done a lot of work here. We have a lot of language that we've built up uh, in the various different negotiating cycles. Um, this is going to come up as a subject in the midterm uh, bargaining in November. And um, there's a couple of people that have expressed interest. Uh, I'm looking for some really good people who want to get involved, write some language and read some uh, contract language uh, on the uh, CATS working group. Um, yep, P2P, just want to talk to you guys again. Right, I already mentioned it, uh, but it is our primary communications conduit. It does minimize the written communications, right? Um, and it allows us to have speed and transparency and rumor control. Just know that the, the written communications are written for a certain audience, and um, uh, P2P has a lot of the, the good positive stuff in it, right? Uh, labor coalition, uh, we want to set up uh, just a regular coordinating conversation with the Teamsters and AMFA and TWU, right? Uh, everyone on property is, uh, just about everyone is, has unionized, right? Um, uh, they're all having the same troubles we are. We should talk about it, right? Uh, Alpa Pack, uh, we talked about the pack already, right? Um, uh, just a couple more things here that the pack does, right? The payroll support program that was the COVID monies. Um, they deal with the 1500 hour rule, right? Secondary barriers, cargo safety, reduced crew operations, right? Um, and then uh, flags of convenience. This micro leases thing here at the end, this is pretty wild, right? So, um, there's a company that's uh, essentially changing the certificate that the air that the airplane is on when it comes into the United States, right? So it's a, like a sub rosa cabotage, right? To fly the airplane into New York um, as a, you know some other foreign airline, land it, change the certificate, uh, the airplane over to an American certificate, and then fly it in the United States, right? It's cabotage, straight up cabotage, and that's that's your jobs, right? That's uh, my job. It sucks. Um, and it's a total end around around the cabotage law, right? So um, important to know about. So, you know, we got these red lanyards, fancy little red lanyards. Uh, it's, you know, a contract uh, if you can keep it. And what it is, it's about you guys, right? Um, uh, we are under-resourced and a small little group of people, and we need more people to do the work. We're growing and we need more people, right? Um, it's going to take some time and a broad recruiting effort to build up the people and the skill sets that we need to move forward and uh, ultimately uh, hand this thing off to uh, to people who know what they're doing, um, who have a good skill set, right? Uh, and keep the people who have good skill sets in place and everybody working, rowing the boat in the same direction. Um, we all need to work together to keep this contract. We worked really hard through a very, very difficult, highly toxic implementation process, and we just really need uh, some more people as this airline goes through a pretty pretty significant growth process. So, um, you know, we're kind of at, at, at the midpoint of uh, this MEC, right? 
Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the last 18 months and what the next 18 months look like. And it's kind of a little bit of the state of the union kind of thing, right? Um, so in January of 22, um, prior to us taking office, right, Zillin and I uh, went in and we had a conversation um, with some of the folks in management. And it was our first meeting uh, after um, uh, the contract was ratified. And what we heard was uh, we're going to do only the black and white and nothing more, right? Which was to say, we're not going to work to implement your contract. We are going to drag our feet and make this as difficult as possible. The JWG process, um, companies simply did not engage in that. We came out with zero MOUs, which were to, you know, write clarifying language um, for a contract that was negotiated quickly at the company's request, right? So that we could execute on growth and maybe capitalize on uh, Amazon's opportunities with A330s. We saw that challenge, we worked hard, we made it through that. And, um, you know, the JWG uh, was supposed to be put in place to write a contract that would mitigate grievances and um, allow the company to move forward on a healthy basis with a good labor relationship. Instead, um, we took a hard left turn. Um, and I, I know you guys saw it in, in you know, our comms and neg negativity, right? Um, because we are a reflection of what is going on. We are transparent. We're not hiding that stuff. I mean, we need to make sure that you know what is happening in that relationship, right? And um, we drove a record number of grievances because of the implementation process. Um, and uh, there was, you know, wide discord in the training department, very discontent with uh, what was happening to them. We saw some people leave that department because they wanted honesty and integrity um, at exactly the wrong time when the airline needs growth and throughput. Um, along with that, uh, just a significant deterioration in schedule quality uh, and flexibility, right? We're hearing that from everybody. Um, you know, you, you can hardly avoid five and six day trips at this point, and the most senior are 12 or 13 days off. Very, very difficult schedules, and now packing another couple of thousand hours a block on top of that in June and July. Uh, the June schedules are the worst I have ever seen at any property ever. Uh, they're very, very difficult. Um, uh, poor implementation, intentional in, inaction, um, and just, you know, I've talked a lot about polarizing distributive bargaining, right? Where um, this is the notion that the pie is only so big, right? And you can have a little bit and we're, we're going to keep the rest, that kind of thing. Um, it is totally counter to the way that uh, a healthy labor relationship runs with uh, mutually beneficial uh, interest-based bargaining. The whole idea of interest-based bargaining is that you create new value, right? What do you want? What do you want? Let's get together. Let's talk about it. Create new things that create value and move the company forward and allow it to grow. Um, companies that do that do really, really well. Um, and I'm hoping as we move forward into the next 16 months that we're going to see um, a change in the winds, right? Uh, so, uh, We've seen some good stuff in the last 18 months, right? We saw long trips. There's been a really successful, uh, you know, trial period with long trips. It is a trial period, and uh, people should know that we do need to get the think tank stood up and work through how those are going to look going forward. Um, but there's, you know, 
all of the conflicts with uh, vacation and leaves and all that kind of stuff needs to get resolved and real language built under that stuff to continue to build those trips. And there is a lot of interest from real commuters to be able to bid at that work, right? Uh, we need to work through all of those things uh, in order to keep that long trip LOA happening, right? It needs changes, it needs additions. The experiment needs, you know, version 2.0 of the experiment to, to move forward. Uh, Great crew meal settlement, right? Um, uh, I'll give good props to Eric Levenhagen at the company for working on this. Um, uh, I think the problem is much larger than maybe they realized at the time that they signed the signed the um, uh, settlement, but it has highlighted just what a big problem it is, and they know that there's a real need there now to solve some things, right? Um, we got this, uh, you know, the podcast library, that development is in place. That's really good. Um, it really does help new hires to be able to learn some stuff how to protect themselves on reserve. Uh, we've seen some robust committee strength that we've talked about. Uh, we saw a good settlement recently in uh, a five-day rolling window for new hires and captain upgrades, um, as well as Section 18, right, is is right on the, the edge of uh, signing. And um, that's going to unburden us uh, from, uh, you know, what's been a pretty ugly past for the last 18 months. Um, we've done a really good job with these all-pilot calls. We've been able to, you know, the investors hear these, they're public, right? The board hears these, most importantly, prospective new hires hear these, these calls, right? If you're interested in coming to Sun Country, um, you know what you're walking into, right? And hopefully these the messaging uh, moving forward is going to be able to change uh, into a really positive one about growth because we're not going to be uh, relaying all of the work that's being done on Section 18, right? So um, uh, some good stuff has happened over the last 18 months, um, really good stuff. Um, moving forward, right, and I'm going to get into kind of our Q1 brief that the MEC did with Jude um, as well as Greg and, and Eric, but um, – I think we're at a turning point, right? Uh, and what I would say is I have some uh, cautious optimism for the future here, uh, that there may be a shift away from some of those toxic labor policies, right? Uh, some of that was maybe driven by Apollo and um, Dave Segal at the board level, right? With Apollo leaving and a shift to a Sun Country board with Jude's vision, uh, what I'm seeing is, you know, a little bit of a change, and um, I'm seeing some things come into contract compliance, right, uh, and a desire to find compliance. And um, as we build uh, stronger committees and get, you know, the negotiating the grievance committee set up so that, um, you know, they're supporting each other, right? You can't just have a negotiating committee or just a grievance committee standing on their own, right? They support each other. They're the yin and the yang, as I say, right? Um, uh, the, the negotiating committee has little or no power uh, unless the grievance committee backs up the work that they do, right? Uh, so I think growing those two committees, getting them uh, solid and robust, because the other committees are doing just an absolutely bang-up job. Um, so as we get into uh, the next 18 months, we're really going to be working on building up both of those committees, and we're going to see um, you know, pilot ratification of the PBS LOA. This is a big deal. Um, and then 
working really hard on what is what's going to be strategic planning for a 26 contract, right? Um, so getting into the C team brief a little bit, right? We saw, you know, exceptional, really great financial performance. Um, the company is making money. Um, you know, fares are way up. Our product is good. Uh, our performance is good. The pilot group is doing a great job. Um, and we, you know, as an MEC need to say, yeah, that's awesome. We're here. We're, we want to go to work. We want to do a great job. But thank our pilots properly, right? Give them the schedule flexibility that they're looking for. Um, uh, make our commutes easier. Uh, find integrity in the payroll system and implement the things that were negotiated, right? Uh, that's the way that you thank this pilot group for doing a good job. And we brought that message to the C team, and they heard it. They were they listened. They were they were good listeners, and um, I think we are. I'm seeing positivity there, right? Um, but fix the problems, right? Uh, allow the MEC to shift our focus from the problems to growth, so that we can become a partner and really move forward with some mutually beneficial bargaining. Um, try to get to the point where we're doing some. Um, you know, value-added bargaining so that uh, this company can grow. Do what a lot of companies are doing and get the MEC uh, along with the chief pilot's office um, into meet and greets with new hires. Let's work on some, you know, what does an ab initio hiring program look like? We are getting outpaced by companies with good labor relationships, right? Um, and we need to get all of those things from the labor relationship to, a, you know, meet the chiefs, meet the MEC, uh, and an ab initio um, type program that, that removes barriers to entry so that we can hire and sustain the kind of growth that this company can support. We have a great business model. We just need to bring scale to it, right? And um, what I saw is a very clear shift in tone from Jude. Um, uh, he is clearly back in control of the company. And um, it was a message of working together um, verbatim. You know, the five people in this room have a lot of work to do right out of Jude's mouth, right? That means we need to work together. Uh, Greg and Eric listened, and that is very, very welcome. And uh, we discussed Jude's vision for the future of the airline. Uh, it's a good, solid vision. You've all heard it. Um, but, uh, you know, he had a lot of detail about where he wants to go and how we're going to get there. And that's the kind of stuff that we need to see in order to believe in his vision and help forward it, right? Um, discussed uh, with him, as I said, needs for uh, improvements to schedules and flexibility, and that we want to be partners in that growth, right? Um, there is a new board, right? Uh, Jennifer Vogel takes over with the departure of Dave Segal, uh, Apollo exits, um, and uh, the company is going to make some really uh, some interesting moves on the tech ops side, right, uh, by uh, investing in their maintenance stores and engine purchases. Uh, they do have an ab initio program set up for maintenance techs. Uh, so they're, you know, starting people basically as some kind of uh, apprentice type thing, getting them trained so that they can move up into uh, becoming uh, maintenance techs for uh, for the airline long into the future. And we talked about how we're going to remove some barriers for for pilots, uh, you know, barriers for entry to uh, becoming a pilot, right? Um, and how to do that. So, really, you know, 
uh, filled in some of the blanks for us. How are you going to get airplanes? Um, what does attrition look like? What What are your growth problems? What do we need to do on the captain side of things? Um, truly, the company is saying their classes are full. Uh, they're not having troubles hiring. And from the numbers that they're getting, which is supporting the growth rate that they want to be at, uh, they're getting the numbers that they need to have, right? So as they see it, they don't have an attrition problem um, and they, they don't have a retention problem. The uh, amount of attrition is something that they have planned for and they feel comfortable with. Um, Jude has explained that the recovery time is not that bad and that the, uh, the throughput that they need, they're, they're getting. Ultimately, um, you know, the other side of that coin is you'll grow as fast as you have pilots, right? So there's a growth problem. It, it might be different than attrition and attraction, but there's a growth problem. And uh, ultimately, how are we going to get pilots to move into the left seat, right? Um, I know there's been some listening sessions uh, from management on this. Uh, what I would say is that our data has been extremely clear. Uh, the survey that um, the economic and finance analysis people did uh, at Alpa National that uh, half of our pilot group participated in and the demographic mirrored exactly um, what uh, our pilot group's demographic looks like in terms of, you know, longevity, seniority, uh, seat. Um, uh, so I think it's really, really good data. It says very clearly that it is schedules. Um, resoundingly schedules. Everyone knows it. Um, someone wants a different answer than that, and they're not getting it. And they're looking for different answers uh, in a smaller group. Um, ask half the pilot group, and what you're going to find is it's schedules, right? Um, what I hear is, uh, you know, the rhetoric uh, coming back to me is that it is the time spent on reserve, which from a pilot's perspective is like a what? I, I don't quite get that. Um, yeah, uh, you know when you upgrade, you're gonna spend some time on reserve. Um, and that, you know, moving up to a line with a two five days and a six day um, isn't necessarily schedule flexibility, right? Uh, that's what it's about. So um, we hear you loud and clear. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about Apollo's exit from the board, right? Because with them exiting the board, they don't have any insider information. So uh, all they get is the regular, you know, reports that are filed that are public um, as a publicly traded company. And so they now have no insider information beyond what the company uh, has in those reports. And that allows them to sell shares basically whenever they need to. Um, so that's, I, I think... Uh, probably a good sign, right, that uh, they are looking to have that sort of flexibility, so they want to continue their, their divestiture and move on with their new project at Atlas, right? Good riddance by now. Um, but um, the new board, right, uh, it seems that their instruction is to become contract compliance, right? Uh, are compliant with our contract. And uh, I think that's consistent with what we've seen as a labor policy under Apollo. Uh, so we're really hoping that that does actually happen and that the realignment that we've seen in the VP and director level, right? Um, there's been a replacement of almost, you know, just about everybody at that level of management uh, so that they share in the long-term Sun Country vision, right? Um, it can't be 
uh, understated, uh, need to say clearly that that realignment has a lot to do with uh, what the last year has been about. Um, and they're finding people who, um, you know, are aligned with not wanting to be pilot aggressive, not being negative about, uh, you know, labor uh, and moving in a different direction. So um, I'm hoping that that's, that's where we're going. I'm seeing it, I'm hearing it, and I'm optimistic, right? Um, we talked a little bit about Amazon, right? Um, uh, what we heard here is that it, you know, provides revenue and downturns, but it is at a cost. Um, that, and this isn't, you know, secret information by any stretch. Uh, Jude's been talking about it. Uh, certainly, Joe Houghton's been talking about it. We need to grow our passenger operation. Our passenger operation is where uh, you find efficiency um, and. Efficiency is what's going to make our schedules better, right? Um, actually being able to credit, you know, seven and a half hours a day in a passenger operation instead of being at a five-hour midday because you're sitting by a pool on a, on a cargo trip, right? That means more days off. That's that's what you get in a, in a passenger operation. Um, and it's why passenger operations pay more money than cargo operations. And it's why passenger operations have more days off than cargo operations. And uh, ultimately, um, that's good. That's why we all signed up uh, to be, you know, airline pilots rather than cargo pilots, right? Um, there is some interest in the freighters, but I, I think what that comes down to is a desire to um, uh, renegotiate the terms with Amazon. Uh, and what we're seeing there is the company is realizing the inefficiency and um, importantly, realizing the inefficiency, right? During the last negotiating cycle, we were very um, careful to make sure that we uh, we're mitigating the pay and days off loss due to the inefficiency of cargo flying. Um, basically, you know, what you were hearing out of us at that time was we're happy to do the flying, you know, flying's flying. We don't care what's behind us. We'll fly whatever you want to fly. We can do whatever kind of revenue you want to do, but it's not going to be at the expense of our pay or our days off. So we protected ourselves uh, very well. And I think now the company is realizing that the burden is on them and they, they want to protect themselves, right? Um, I'd be super happy to see more Amazon growth. And what we're hearing out of the company is something, a message almost identical to what our message was, was that burden is not supposed to be placed on us, right? So we, uh, we don't have the burden of the inefficiency. Uh, we still are experiencing that in the schedules, right? Um, uh, to some degree, but... Uh, we just need more passenger flying schedules get better and we need more bodies and then the schedules get better so um i want to talk a little bit about the work that that's coming up uh due to the number of grievances that that have been filed uh when we get contractually when we're above 18 grievances we uh double the amount of arbitrations that we do we notified the company of that and that process starts in june of this year um, so we now have what were our original grievance uh, hearings uh, at arbitration, June, September, and November added, uh, August, October, and December dates. Um, uh, there's uh, 
maybe two in December because there's a hangover from one that was postponed about a year and a half ago. Um, uh, so there should be one more on this slide. But uh, nonetheless, what you're seeing is a pretty high workload. It takes about, I'd say, two to three weeks to work up these cases uh, for for Jody, right? And then um, quite a bit of resources from the MEC uh, to create testimony and um, work up the proof on the grievance committee uh, that's necessary to win these cases, right? And um, so very important that we uh, have the resources dedicated to this increased workload, right? Um, just know that that's happening and that um, we'll keep pushing through those those grievance cases um, uh, and continue to make some headway there. Uh, it's just it's a lot of work. Along with that, we have midterm bargaining that's coming up, right? So we're now just six months out, uh, November 21st, we exchange issues so that everybody knows what's going on here. It's four issues, right? Uh, and the way that the language reads is delete, add, or amend, plus the commuter accessible trips conversation, okay? Um, so the company's gonna bring four issues, we're gonna bring four issues, plus cats, so nine issues, right? Um, that is, uh, a very significant workload. I in the section six process was a lot of work because we remodeled scheduling, right? Like the second half of section twenty-five, everything from twenty-five M onwards basically got got rebuilt. Um with a few other small things and then 18. So what you're gonna see here is probably not entire sections, but the issues themselves are going to take a lot of conversation and work. And I think um, probably bigger than in total in terms of the issues that are worked on, uh, larger than Section Six, right? Um, part of the part of the problem here is that the way that ELPA budgeting works, right? You you have all of these extra resources that come to you when you're in the Section Six process, right? Which makes sense if you're in kind of the old school. Um, version of negotiating, which is everything happens in section six, and then right, you do interim bargaining along the way, but you know, then another big section six cycle. And you know, people who've been in this industry for a long time kind of hold fast to that section six is when the bargaining happens. And then there's this, I don't know, like peacetime that happens in between where no work happens. Um, and that just isn't the case, that isn't reality. And uh, I haven't seen in you know 15 years in this industry and all of the help work that i've done uh ever uh in mec that sat around in peacetime doing nothing um uh, everything's been pretty high paced but that was you know high functioning mecs that kept the ball moving uh while they weren't in section six right which is that's how you do it right um so what is to say here is we, we got a section six process in this midterm bargaining coming up that doesn't have the depth uh, for funding. Um, and we need to lean on the committee structure and the subject matter experts to get some work done here, right? Um, early openers, right? We are um, amendable in June of 25, right? Here we are two years short of that, right? Um, which seems like a long ways out, but the reality is um, uh, we are exactly where we need to be uh, two years to 18 months prior is doing the strategic planning for that Section 6 process. That's six months away. 
the reason that we were successful in the last bargaining cycle was because we had done all of this work for you know two years prior to getting into what we got to in November, December of 21. We had built it all out. We had built the language out. We had built out all of the subject matter experts, the committee strength that we needed. Um, we were a well-oiled machine going into November, December of 21, and we could produce enormous amounts of language. Um, that's where we need to be again going into you know June of 25. And uh, again, that's just six months away, right? And there's a lot of work between now and then. Uh, so uh, negotiating committee development, right? Um, just you're gonna see two things in red in this uh, in this presentation. And the negotiating committee is one of them because um, uh, that negotiating committee isn't just the three people that you see at the table. Uh, you need a reading group who's going out into the industry and reading the other contracts. Certainly almost every contract in the industry is going to be changed by the time we're there. Um, that's pattern bargaining at work, right? But we need people who go read that language and say, yeah, take this, take this, take this um, to forward our objectives. And then we need subject matter experts to pull out of these committees um, who know what they're doing with that language, that know what they're doing better than the MEC does and better than the negotiating committee does. Then we need three people at the table, right? Um, we were running, uh, in addition to all of this, two drafting pods, right? So it was really about 15 people uh, working on that negotiating committee with three people at the table, right? That's where we need to be. Um, we are not there because we lost some people. Um, certainly, we're going to have more attrition. Uh, and uh, it's just, you know, the, where we're at, right? Along with that, the changing demographic of the airline, right? Your negotiating committee and all of the subs that are that are supporting that negotiating committee need to reflect this airline. Right. In terms of our seniority and what we want, um, you know, a good MEC um, is making sure that they create consensus with the pilot group. Right. And that means that the things that are made in a negotiating committee reflect where that pilot group is at. We have some really significant demographic problems as we move into the next bargaining cycle. Um, over half of our airline that is voting on that next contract doesn't work here yet. That's stunning, right? Um, not so different from the the spirit guys, right? When they, they worked up to their strike and all of the people that that pushed through that strike and the things that they were upset about, right, that they wanted to resolve, uh, ultimately didn't matter to the new hires. And they had, you know, almost three quarters of their pilot group were new hires. They got through extremely rapid, very large growth. And the reasons that they had uh, their strike vote didn't matter anymore. And they had no traction on those issues, right? Um, that is to say, to get a TA to be voted on by the pilot group and approved, that TA needs to reflect the wants, needs, and desires of the people uh, at this airline. And that's going to be really difficult as, you know, frankly, some of them probably haven't started flight training yet, right? 
uh, pretty stunning. Um, it's just a, uh, I think it's probably has a little bit to do too with the, the flight attendant vote, right? Uh, they had some really senior people on their um, negotiating committee, and I don't know how in touch they were with the new hires, and uh, they have a lot of turnover there. Um, just my observation, right? That um, uh, you gotta you gotta make sure that you're looking at everybody and what they want, right? And everybody needs to get a little something, right? So um, these are just some kind of rough growth numbers. Um, they're not accurate. Uh, they're uh, kind of projections, right? Um, but we're currently about 620. Um, you look out a year, about 820. Another year after that, uh, 1040, 1070. Um, this is just kind of rough math from where we're at, and we're hiring, you know, 24 a month. Um, pretty stunning, right? Kind of big numbers. But here's some of the stuff that's going on along with that growth, right? So you got the stuff that we've been talking about, right? Section 18, that thing's closing up, and we're going to go through a little another round of implementation of that language, right? You got these group grievances that that are still going on. And we need to publish a contract. Now that Section 18 is done, um, the MEC needs to turn immediately to the, getting a published paper contract, right? That needs to happen yesterday. Um, the PBS LOA ratification, that process needs to happen, right? So we need to build out the LOA itself um, and then implement all that, right? So that JPWG process is still going to go on, you know, 18, 24 months. Um, and then you start to look at the rest of the work, right? We got six ARBs through the end of this year. We get into the midterms. And then we got this, you know, 18 months to get this negotiating committee spun up. And then we're in early openers already. So halfway through, you know, June of 25 is when we're putting our openers across the table. And then we start meeting, right? Um an enormous workload, far more than the number of people involved at the higher levels of this MEC are capable of. And um, truly, uh, if we're going to succeed, right, a contract, if you can keep it, we need people to start uh, learning how these things work, learning how to draft LOAs, learning how to draft grievance settlements, um, uh, writing and reading right, uh, to be prepared to uh, to take on the work. It is, um, you know, a minimum of 18 months to develop even basic subject matter expert skills. Um, uh, most of the time you have people who have been in these roles for years to draw on, right? The whole industry is suffering from this right now, uh, especially at the regional level, uh, where they just don't have people who are experienced, right? Uh, or engaged because they're they're there as a stepping stone, and they have just you know 18, 36 months on that property. So you know not a lot of investment in the future there. So it's difficult for those people to kind of get involved in Alpa because there's a um, you know why why invest your time into something that you're only invested in for 36 months, right? Um, which I would say is my biggest fear is um, 
you know, I, I kind of take a rough survey uh, in every new hire class who's going to stay, right? Do you, you come here to pitch your tent for 20 years or do you want to leave? Is it a stepping stone? You get in the type little, uh, you know, 12 months in the left seat and you, you want to move on, right? Um, I would say it's shifted in the last few months. A lot more people want to stay. Um, but I'm not seeing a lot of people show up, uh, you know, raising their hand and saying, train me. I want to, I want to go, you know, do work on uh, political action pack, right. Or let me get involved in the, the new hire process. Right. Um, any one of these committees is a good place to, to get engaged, uh, and to start to do some work. Uh, and truly, uh, many hands make light work, right. Um, so just the new generation needs to get engaged and learn the skill set. Uh, I talked a little bit about cats, right? Um, and what this is, right? Get get deep into a, a think tank. Um, and I think it really is probably uh, three little pods, right? Uh, one group that's doing kind of the, the drafting and the writing on the language. Uh, and then another one who's reading language, like what is the FedEx travel bank? Is that a good solution for us? Uh, do we want positive space travel or do we not care because we have the ability to debt deviate, right? Um, uh, people to look at uh, the long trips. Do we need the long trips to change? Uh, what kind of trip length limit would you like to see? Um, is it worth having the long trip structure? Do we need that in a pre-bid versus forced on you in PBS, right? Um, there is conversation um, and at the PBS table about forcing long trips onto people through the PBS system, right? So without a trip length limit uh, in our language, you can take a 12-day trip, build it up, drop it into uh, um, into PBS, and, um, you know, if it doesn't get bid on, uh, it's going to get forced on somebody, right? And I think everyone here knows that the the popularity of, of that and some of the senior group uh, that don't commute really is about getting the days off, right? And their interest uh, when in PBS, they can bid towards efficient flying, right? Uh, you can bid towards, you know, seven and a half hours, seven, seven hour and 45 minute day turns, right? Are you really going to want to go out and do a 12 day trip? Probably not. So naturally, probably some of these long trips open up to the commuter, but um, I have a feeling there's going to be, you know, a completely opposite reaction to long trips if they're forced on to people who don't want to be doing them, right? Um, and if PBS is weaponized in that way. So need to have a group of people start to think that stuff through and do some of the work there. Uh, last slide in the presentation, then we'll, we'll do some Q&A. Um, uh, the joint PBS working group, I, I just really want to say, you know, uh, Really big thank you to Tim and Katie, who have been absolute rock stars for this. I, I mean, there's an enormous uh, amount of knowledge to uh, to take on here. I mean, Tim read, I think probably Katie read too, the full 800-page NavBlue um, document, right? Uh, which, man, I wish we could get the people at the company to read it because they wouldn't be asking for some of the stuff they are, but um, because it just doesn't function that way. But 
it, it's super helpful to have that level of knowledge. They have made themselves subject matter experts. Um, and the process that they're now on, um, I think is really great. They're focused on, you know, functional solutions and um, uh, they're gonna have kind of a readout on their language soon. Again, like I said, next Tuesday, Tuesdays at two, start to get familiar with PBS as a group, as a pilot group. Um, it would be really good if we could start to see turnout on those calls, 50 to 100 pilots, uh, so that there is a conversation that's starting in the pilot group because you need to vote on this PBS LOA, right? Um, the, the PBS language is going to go into an LOA it needs to be agreed to, and if it isn't agreed to, it's going to go to arbitration, which is a dangerous place for the company. It's a dangerous place for us because an arbitrator can impose um, whatever they want at their will, right? So what needs to happen here is both parties need to get together, build a system that reflects where the industry is at, that's knowledgeable and functional, and isn't, um, let's say, a bunch of grabs based on ideology, right? And uh, NavBlue itself is, you know, a very narrow um, uh, program in terms of what it does and how it works. And we agreed on that program based on uh, a knowledge of its systems and what it does at other properties and how it functions. And uh, we are not going to agree uh, as an MEC to move forward uh, for ratification and LOA that isn't industry standard. Um, right? We're not we're not asking for contract changes. We're not asking for contract grabs. We're asking for something that's functional that uh, isn't subpar, right? And when uh, we get to the point where we have an LOA that isn't subpar, that doesn't hurt this pilot group, we'll put it out for ratification. And the pilot group um, needs to be knowledgeable enough on uh, what they're agreeing to. And there's some complexity there, right? Which is why we're starting early in the education process so that uh, everyone understands what it is that they're voting on, that they know where the rest of the industry is at, and they know what their expectations should be out of an industry standard PBS system, right? Um, Make sure you you know that you need to vote on PBS, and we're going to make that happen. So, uh, with that, uh, that's the end of my slide deck. That's all the news and stuff that I I needed to get out to you guys. Um, I would uh, love to open up um, uh, the conversation and just do some Q and A with you guys. Um, certainly, myself and Kevin are here. Uh, Will is on vacation. I don't know if Will tuned in today, but um, certainly uh, happy to have him chime in and answer if he did tune in. So uh, with that, if you can use that raise hand function in uh, Teams, uh, that's the easiest way for us to see and call on you. Um, I think it is star six if you're on a telephone line. Uh, Kevin, help me out if I'm, if I'm wrong on that. But um, uh, star, star six is the unmute and star five will raise and lower your hand. So yeah, star five. All right, awesome. So yeah, uh, with that, I just want to open it up and uh, talk about anything that's on you guys' mind, what's going on on the line, uh, and what uh, what we need to be pushing to make sure that we're uh, forwarding your issues uh, the way that uh, they need to be forwarded. Anything at all, guys?
All right. Kind of a quiet group today. There's a lot going on. Uh, any questions about the slide deck and the, yeah, all right, Dave, what do you got? You have the floor. Hey guys, you'd mentioned earlier that, uh, was it last year, the year before, the joint working committee or whatever it was called, where we were supposed to meet with the company, they'd meet with us and they'd work through the bugs of the implementation, but they didn't show up or they showed up, you know, not prepared. Um, what is your take on their willingness to now work on a new project, which is this PBS? Um, someone very comically, and I think Pro named or you know accused the company of being um, subject to a magic software syndrome, where they just think you just plug it in and it works, and they don't do their homework. Um, are you confident that they have resolved that tendency? So as we move forward with this PBS, they're going to show up and be, as you said, educated or uneducated or prepared or unprepared. What do you think? Yeah, two different sides to this, right? So you got the guys that are actually building the PBS system, right? Uh, Papaleo and Bosch. And uh, truly, honestly, um, they want and need a system that works, right? I mean, ultimately, these are the two guys, crew planning with Jeff and uh, crew scheduling with Andy, who are ultimately uh, gonna need to make sure that they have the productivity in the places where they need to have the productivity so the operation keeps moving, right? Um, those two guys, I mean, they're the right guys at the table to have the conversations. Um, I, I, and I got to be honest with you, I, I think that Jeff has come a long ways um, in terms of, um, uh, let's just say, relationship with Alpa. Uh, you know, he works side by side with Ingalls every day, all day. And um, so we're not the enemy. Uh, Andy is a great guy um, and has always been, you know, honest and interested in, you know, interest-based bargaining and moving the ball forward. They have bosses. Right. Um, and they're and they are overtasked and under resourced. Uh, they don't have the time to sit and read an 800 page manual. And then one layer above them is a lot of ideology without a lot of knowledge. Right. Um, I. Yeah. Without digging in and really, you know, talking about people um there's just a layer of toxicity that is um not moving in the right direction and and i think andy and jeff suffer from the uh, complications of that right um there's a kind of a level of uh, let's say ambient gaslighting that goes on there um involving you know gantt charts and timelines and putting the end before the beginning that's just pure imagination uh, that doesn't work. And they are all caught up in it because they don't have any choice but to be caught up in it uh, or lose their job. That's a pretty honest answer, Dave. I, um, okay, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. If, if, if they continue to either stall, either on purpose or just because of incompetency or whatever you want to term it, do we have any timeline that is is needed or can we just sit there and, and be frustrated and shrug our shoulders and just say, you know, let us know when you guys want to join the conversation. We're here, but we can't 
you know, we can just sit here indefinitely. We don't want to, but without you guys participating, we can't move forward. Is there any sort of a timeline that the company and the, the Alpa has agreed to, or is it just floating and kind of whenever it happens, it happens? I, I guess I would answer this way. Um, I don't know that the timeline is the important part. This is, you know, you, you're making a cake, and when is it done? It's done when it's done, right? Right. Um, it, you got to make sure that you make a good tasting cake, right? And um, I would say that the small group uh, has been very productive. They're working really well together. Um, as soon as we got it into the small group, uh, it started moving forward, right? Um, there's still a lot of, well, you know, I'm going to have to run that up the flagpole. And, right, there's a – what I see, uh, this is my – 10,000 foot view, right? Um, the company has a 95 hour cap on credit, right? Um, that 95 hours, it's pretty high for the industry. And the reason that it's high is because a lot of the other properties have moved into a PBS system, which mathematically drives towards 82 to 84, right? Because um, you have an average line value and historical line value, and and then mm, just your math as to how much credit the system can generate and put on a pilot. We have a unique problem at Sun Country because of the inefficient flying that we do. Um, like I said, about 30, 32% of our flying starts and ends with a deadhead, right? So you have all of this penalty on all of these trips, which is uh, it's the time that the company pays us to work where they're not generating revenue, right? Um, that's problematic, right? You, you gotta you gotta make money when you're paying people. If it's, that's that's a math thing too, right? Um, but they need to see as much revenue generating credit on each pilot as possible, right? And one way you can do that is you can go fly passenger flying and then all of your credit is generating revenue, right? That's what you see at, you know, most of these passenger airlines uh, and pretty much, you know, the places with uh, with PBS um, because PBS is going to drive towards a solution that's, you know, 83 hours. And um, that 83 hours, you know, is time in the seat, making money and making revenue, right? I, I have to say, you know, <laughs> when I was on IOE, like I'm, I'm sitting next to Zillin, we pull into Corpus Christi and, you know, we offload the passengers and Zillin turns to me and he goes, well, you're ready to go, right? And I'm like seven minutes into setting up the airplane. I'm like, oh my God, what? Like, don't we have to wait for the airplane to board? He's like, no, 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 we're gonna fly it empty. And I'm like, what do you mean we're gonna fly it empty? He's like, oh, yeah, we do this on all these charters. We just fly the airplane around empty. I mean, I hadn't flown an airplane empty in 12 years or even with an open seat for about the last five, right? And uh, it was pretty stunning to me. And I suddenly realized, like, yeah, that's what we do here, right? Like, charter. And, of course, just like, you know, dad was, you know, part 135 charter. And we flew airplanes around empty to get the airplanes in position. And that's just the way that that world works, right? So, of course, we're going to do that with a 737. But that means, you know, 
that the company has a really distinctly complicated dynamic here of, you know, paying us to move us around and move the airplane around while they're not generating revenue. And that 95 hours, right, and what you see in schedules right now, this push to 93 is where they're able to find the profitability because they can't bring in, you know, an unlimited amount of pilots to bring us down to even a normal 82, right? And they have to build up some kind of buffer in terms of both captains and FOs in order to bring PBS onto the property uh, because there's going to be a staffing requirement that's generated by that. And, you know, so they're interested in how to get to, uh, let's say, more credit on lines. And when I say credit, like revenue generating credit, the 60 percent needs to become, you know, 70 or 80 percent. And where I see, you know, the question that you're asking about, are they going to engage and they're going to be at the table and be knowledgeable? um, They're slowly learning, but um, things like. Uh, let's say in adopt was called a uh, max line range, right? So you could open yourself up to bid uh, beyond the credit window, right? So a lot of these properties will have a, a credit window between, let's say, uh, 73 and 87 or 87 and um, something in the, the upper 70s. It's really normal to be somewhere in there. Um, and, and a lot of them have actually gotten really tight just because the math generates uh, really, really tightly to about 83. Um, uh, if you see in the new APA contract, they got pretty tight on what the ALV is, average line value. Um, <laughs> if you do this, max line range thing, right? What it does is it allows your schedule to be opened up to say 103, right? Which here, that's a really possible thing because we have the credit range um, where you can go, you know, higher uh, because we we do so much deadhead, right? So you're not going to run into an FAA issue, uh, where the where the system literally can't put more credit onto your line you know, just simply because there's so much debt at right, um, so that's one of the ways of dealing with that. Of course, uh, we're interested in say anything over 95 being paid at premium pay because that's the normal construct in the industry for allowing yourself to basically pick up trips in the final line award, right? And certainly everybody else who picks up trips and it's a big part of the money that we make at this airline is what goes on your line after the final line award, right? But the company gave that a hard no right out of the gate, and I don't know how much of it they understood, right? There's a couple constructs there that that work really well for this airline um, and allow what I think Jude is looking for, which is more revenue um, producing credit on everybody's line, right? So what I'm saying is, you know, something like that where they've, you know, uh, throwing it out already, maybe they come back to because as they learn more and more about the system, they can better negotiate what it is that they actually need. And part of the, you know, putting the end before the beginning in the, you know, imaginary Gantt chart uh, that, you know, just isn't functional has, you know, testing of the system being done prior to, um the LOA being completed, right? So if the LOA isn't completed, how did you program the system to our contract and know that it's actually going to 
work, right? Familiarization, because you have a program to get yourself familiar with, is a different thing from testing, right? And we haven't had a familiarization copy up until about three weeks ago. And now that both sides have a familiarization copy, right, their side is running it and finding out how it works and what it does. And a lot of the holy grail issues, you know, the sacred cows that they couldn't get over with have fallen by the wayside because, well, oh, it does that? Well, yeah, you could have read the manual, right? So I guess timeline-wise, I don't know that we can, you know, have some sort of Hard line in the sand. If you're not done by this, then this is going to happen to you. Oh no, no, um, they had just committed to it at the at the last, uh, you know, implement. They they had a date in mind that they set at the contract signing, and that went came and went. So I just didn't know if they had proposed a new one or if Alpa had proposed a new one. I'm not impatient. I just wasn't sure if there's uh, any sort of a sketched line that the company said they'd like to have it done by or not. Yeah, I think what happened right is we kind of kept saying, hey, we should get going on PBS and. They didn't have time and resources and people and, um, I mean, the the decision to even go with PBS dragged out for a really long time. This is just part of what happens, too, is like reality. Uh, you know, I remodeled my bathroom, right? And like, um, uh, yeah, I told my wife, you know, it's probably like three days to, you know, get the tile done, or, you know, then we'll, you know, a day or three to paint and all of a sudden, five months has gone by and my bathroom's still torn up, right? Like, I think we've all kind of been there. That's that's what's going on. You know, it's it, it's actually a lot harder to do this than people believe. And if you, if you rewind back to mid-21, we were hearing things like, oh, we'll just negotiate PBS along with the contract. It won't take much. It'll just be a, you know, a couple minutes here and there, and it'll all be done. And it's like, that doesn't work. Um, it actually takes time and expertise and knowledge to do this and do it right. And the people tasked with doing the work, um, at least on the company side, weren't given the time and opportunity to do that. Um, you know, our people, they have the time and opportunity. They've taken the opportunity. They're knowledgeable and capable. And no one on this side has any interest in you know, bamboozling our way through this and stealing a bunch of stuff. We'd like to get PBS on the property and see the see the thing work and have the benefits of having it in place and, um, you know, kind of move on, right? Uh, but, and certainly the bidding process is next to impossible, so it, it helps significantly, right? Um, yeah, I, I think on their side, um, they they have some... You know, people steering that uh, lead them down paths that are difficult to get back out of. Uh, it makes it twice as long and three times as hard. Anything else, Dave? Uh, no, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, with that, I, I do want to say that I really appreciate Andy and Jeff's work on this, on the company side, because they, they have put in more time and more effort than uh, what could be expected out of a 48-hour-a-week job. I mean, these guys are really gone above and beyond, and a lot of that is to make sure that the product in the end is good. Um, but ultimately, you guys got to vote on this thing, right? So let's get you knowledgeable and um, make sure it goes out to, for ratification. 
Mackenzie, how are you doing? You got the floor. Hey guys, how are you doing? Good, good. Good. I, my question's a lot easier than Dave's was. Um, <laughs> mine's just a simple one. If there is an opportunity for, let's say, like myself to join one of the committees, is there a certain place you want us to reach out to or a certain email or to one of you guys in specific or how does that work? Yeah. Um, start with me and, and Will. Um, and then, you know, the whole goal is to match you up with your skill set and what you're going to like doing, right? Um, because the the people that I've seen be successful with Alpa work, um, what you need to see is, you know, the, a, a reason that you got invested is like a, an interest that you have, right? And when you can see that your your work from that interest uh, create change over, you know, a year and 18 months, and that the work that you put in really has changed something uh, for the better and made pilots' lives better, uh, those are the people that stick around and are pretty successful this, with this work. So um, get in touch with Will and I, and then we'll try to match you up with, you know, what your, what your skill sets and interests are. Cool. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yep, for sure. Uh, anyone else? Questions, comments, concerns, stuff we need to know about? Uh, Tanner, hey Tanner, thanks for the work on the uh, the baseball game. Is this working? Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. Happy to help. Happy to help. Um, glad everybody got their RSVPs in. I'm happy with the big turnout. That was awesome. Uh, real quick plug for that baseball game. If you have emailed me and haven't received a response back or received your tickets yet, uh, that means I didn't get your email. So try reaching out one more time. And if you haven't had a chance to access your tickets yet, please attempt to do so. We've had a couple issues with people accessing their tickets. Just want to make sure everybody's able to do that before the game and we can get any issues resolved early. Appreciate your guys' help. Thank you a lot. Right on, Tanner. All right. Um, we're here if anybody has any questions. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap the call up. We've been uh, going for about two hours, but uh, I don't see any hands up. All right. Um, so, yeah, uh, with that, um, please come out to the baseball game. Have a great time. I'm really happy that we can have your families out and have a good time. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, get ready to vote on a PBS. All right. Take care. All right.